Local Radio for Portsmouth. Yeah, uh, here we are then, just after 7 o'clock. Live from now until 9 o'clock tonight, here from 93.7 FM DAB and online, of course, at expressfm.com. Welcome to your weekly offering of Express This Week. And this is Chris Beer, thanks to you, Company, as we look back uh, to what's been going on for the last seven days, right across Portsmouth and South East Hampshire. Action packed programme for you this week, thanks to your Company, uh, wherever you happen to be uh, tonight, at, uh, in about 10 minutes or so here on the show. Uh, we're in conversation with. Um, Professor Dominic Tweedle, they might have uh, seen this in the press this week, certainly from the last seven days or so, about those Spanish Armada maps which uh, have landed into our hands. So we'll be catching up with Professor Dominic Tweedle about that from the National Museum of the Royal Navy, how significant they are to us uh, here in this area, certainly, and Dominic with us uh, for a chat uh, in about uh, ten minutes or so here on the show tonight. Lots of squeezing. It's, I tell you, the show tonight is bulging at the seams. Bulging at the seams, it is. 7.25, we're in conversation with Dr. Sarah, uh, Sarah Charman from uh, here at Portsmouth University. And we uh, take a study into lockdown rules. We'll talk more about that with Sarah. She's with us for a chat about that at 7.25 here on the show. That's what come up later. And later at uh, 7.45, we'll catch up with Catherine Antibus. Now, Catherine's the editor of Ankle Biters. We'll find out more about them. We've spoken to them about them before. And we'll uh, find out more about the Community Spirit Awards. Catherine can tell us more about that. 7.45, she's on the show with us this evening. Later at 10 past 8, we're in conversation with Councillor Rob Humby from Hampshire County Council and some of those views wanted on 21st century travel in and around Hampshire, more particularly, of course, Fairham and Gospel, the Haven to the Hayden Island, uh, Waterlooville, yeah, that sort of patch of our transmission area. So we'll catch up with Rob Humby from Hampshire County Council about that, wanting our views. 10 past 8, we'll chat to him then, about an hour or so. And at 8.25 tonight, Kat Cook from the Hampshire Cultural Trust. She's the Cultural Engagement Coordinator. We'll find out more about uh, creative boxes aimed to help the well-being of vulnerable young people in and around them, Gosport Havens and Emsworth and Hayley Lines. So I'll find out more about that with Dr. Sarah, uh, sorry, not Dr. Sarah, Kat uh, Cook rather, here at uh, 8.25 tonight. And finally, at 8.45. Told you the bullshit it seems to We've got guests galore, I tell you. Cats of Steep It rounds off our, our proceedings this evening here on the programme. And the future of Portsmouth Theatre Royal there in the Guildhall Walk, of course. Could we say from possible closure? We'll catch up all with Steve later with us at 8.45. So we're going to squeeze all that in whew, for the next couple of hours or so. So stay with us. Because anything can happen between now and nine o'clock here on this week's Express This Week. Yeah, one of the stories uh, this week National Museum of the Royal Navy and saving incredibly rare Spanish Armada maps for the nation. Quite significant to Tazwell Bennett from the actual museum itself. Uh, Professor Dominic Twiddle is on the line with us now. Dominic, good evening to you. Hi there. How are you, Ait? 
Yes, fine, thanks. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, this is quite significant, isn't it? Why in particular is this the case, Dominic? Because um, these maps were really completely unknown to modern scholarship um, before they emerged onto the London art market last year. And they tell the story of the Spanish Armada from it arriving just off the Lizard to um, its destruction at the Battle of Graveline just off the Flemish coast. So they tell the story in ten different maps and it's actually like having a comic strip of the whole thing. (laughs) So it's all pieced together. Yes, they they would. I mean, you could could almost animate them. Um, They're fantastic. And where were they actually found? I mean, how did it all come about? Well, what happened is that a very rich man bought them um, in 1903 uh, and thought, these are quite quite nice things, I'll buy them. And then, presumably, he um, put them up in his house or whatever he did with them. And then, actually, they were forgotten about. And then, I suppose, his, his descendants decided, we no longer need these things, so we'll sell them. Um, and that's quite interesting. And it literally went from there and to, to where we are now. Uh, so yeah. these are very significant to, to tell really a, a nugget of, of history, isn't it, really? That's right. We've got lots of words describing the Spanish Armada, um, but one picture is worth a thousand words. Sorry, I shouldn't say that on radio, should I? Um, <laughs> you know, one picture is worth a thousand words. And actually seeing the fleets and how they were laid out and how they moved up the channel is quite incredible. Um, and it's all, all there in minute detail. And that's what's so clever about it, I, I guess, uh, for the period we're talking about. I mean, how old are these actual maps? Well, they were probably made in just after the Armada, so in late 1588. Wow, OK. Um, so they're probably part of the reporting. You know, we'll write a report on the Armada. Um, but, of course, it's just at the period when people were starting to illustrate things. So that is interesting as well. So they're, they're the first illustrated naval battles. Yeah. So that they are very significant indeed. Now, I mean, the, the, uh, the lottery helped to, to purchase these, yeah? That's right. Um, the National Heritage Memorial Fund, which is part of the lottery, put up £200,000, and the Art Fund put up £200,000, and then the public raised 100000 and the museum managed to find 100000 down the back of the sofa. <laughs> Literally like that. <laughs> More or less. Yeah, oh, bless you. Because, I'm not, you know, times are tough as well, so this is quite something significant, really, isn't it? It's really good going in, you know, it had to be done short notice, high speed. And I think everybody has really dug deep and helped because it's such a fantastic story. Um, and 500 years later, it still resonates with us. And the maps are just wonderful depictions of what was a fantastic um, series of events that unrolled along the South Coast. Yes, in- indeed. Now, where are these actually going to be put on display? Well, we're we're hoping that they go on display um, in our Portsmouth, in the National Museum in Portsmouth. Um, But, of course, we don't know when we're going to be able to reopen. But our plan is to get them on display there first. And then perhaps we'll send them on a tour around the United Kingdom, because almost every part of the United Kingdom was touched by the events of the Armada. 
Yeah, it's it sort of played its part really for the whole of the UK, isn't it, in some shape or form. So these are quite, yeah. you know, uh, significant in that respect. It's exciting stuff. We need a bit of something a bit exciting, something a bit positive, I think, with all this going on. Uh, so fingers crossed for when, you know, things do resume, because everyone will be able to, to get their chance to have a look at this. Absolutely. Please visit when you get the opportunity. Fantastic. Professor Dominic Treadle, thanks for coming on. Good to talk to you. Keep up the good work. And uh, perhaps we'll come back to you in the future. You look after yourself. Take care. Cheers, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye. Professor Dominic Treadle there and uh, having a chat with us about those Spanish Armada maps, uh, which uh, hopefully we'll be able to see in the historic dockyard at uh, some shape or form. 13 Sunday nights we're doing this, 7th until 9 o'clock. What across Portsmouth and South East Hampshire, just looking back, just be dozy. Uh, some of the uh, stories in the last seven days or so. Yeah, one of the uh, uh, stories this week. And I guess one of the surveys that we saw delve more deeper into COVID-19 and the coronavirus situation we find ourselves in. I guess, are we taking it seriously? Uh, it's one of the studies, um, certainly from Portsmouth University, where we're actually situated here in our studios here in central Portsmouth, of course. Uh, from um, Portsmouth University, Dr Sarah Charman joins me on the line now. Sarah, good evening to you. Good evening. Are we taking this all seriously, do you think? Well, the evidence would suggest absolutely that the public are taking this seriously, but perhaps that message isn't getting across uh, to the rest of the country and indeed to politicians. Um, we've been doing this big uh, study for the last six months or so. There's a team of seven of us at the University of Portsmouth, and we're trying to find out a bit more about the impact of pandemic policing on the police and on the public. And one of the elements of that research has been a survey to all residents of Hampshire to find out a bit more about whether they're complying and whether they think other people are complying. So it's quite in-depth then. Um, Is it a case of stitching people up to get the answer? (laughs) <laughs> uh, not at all. And I think this is, this is research that's being done elsewhere as well. And the results that we've got pretty much confirm what other people are finding. We asked questions about whether people thought that they were complying. And overall, the survey respondents reported themselves as having complied very well with lockdown restrictions. Uh, we had 13 questions which related to individual compliance. Uh, we put all those together and the score overall was 4.49 out of 5. So people felt that they were being very compliant, slightly less so with uh, social distancing, but very much so with not attending social gatherings. So those figures were very high. However, when it comes to working out what other people are doing, people are a little less positive. So what was interesting is that the further individuals were removed from their own social environment, their own group, then they felt that people were far less compliant. So, for example, I might see myself as being highly compliant along with my family, those people I live with, my mum down the road. Uh, my friends, I probably think, are quite compliant as well. You know, they're the good guys. My neighbours are pretty good too. But where we started to find interesting results is that we found that people saw other people and other, you know, meaning not in their neighbourhood, not in their family, not in their friends, they're far less compliant. So the overall score for that was only 2.4 out of 5, so much, much lower. And does it depend on age groups? I mean, I know you sort of hinted their family and friends, but are we sort of you know, narrowing it down to more age groups as well? You know, the younger element not taking so much notice as perhaps older? Or? I think there's a perception that younger people are less compliant uh, with lockdown regulations. And I'm not sure that we're finding that that's the case, to be honest. Um, 
What we're finding is that women reporting far higher levels of compliance than men. Key workers are rating themselves as less compliant. I think that's understandable given the, the nature of the jobs that they're being involved with. But I think the media are playing their part in this as well. You know, we're flooded with stories of people not complying. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many stories of people sitting at home watching Netflix box sets. So I think we, we are, the media certainly are overemphasizing mm. the number of people who are not complying. And to be fair, that suits the government pretty well. You know, if we're all blaming each other for this particular crisis, then we're perhaps you know, scapegoating each other. Then we're paying less attention to what government are doing and perhaps thinking about the underfunding of our health provision or widening inequalities that perhaps have exacerbated these problems. And we just blame each other for not adhering to lockdown. It's a very difficult one, isn't it? Uh, because there's fatigue as well. I mean, as you said there, you sort of hinted there, the media not quite helping things in some ways, but they are and others taking pressure off other subjects, which we would normally talk about, I guess, certainly scrutinising mm. the government and what they've been up to and what have you. Um, but uh, it's funny how sort of situations have shifted with all this going on. Absolutely, yes. And, and what we need to try to do at this time is work out how we can increase compliance. How, how can we get more and more people to comply, even if we've got high numbers of it? Yeah, we can do it, obviously, by putting more police on the street and having more punishments and more sanctions. But in a way, what we want people to do is self-regulate uh, what we call normative compliance. Um, Boris Johnson called for that yesterday when he said it was about doing the right thing. But in order to do the right thing, you've got to trust those people that are telling you to do the right thing. So you've got to trust the police, the politicians, the government advisers. And when trust is low, this becomes quite a challenge. And how often are you doing this survey? Because I imagine as we're hearing now, again from the media, uh, there's a lot of fatigue out there, isn't it, with lockdown? Oh, absolutely. I think lockdown three is affecting people in very different ways and very potentially very damaging ways. So we're actually going to rerun the survey um, to the public, to the Hampshire public. Uh, we're going to start that next week. So if your listeners can look out for the survey being advertised across various channels, uh, that would be fantastic because we'd like to run these questions again and see how people are finding this particular lockdown in comparison with the first one. And how are you conducting this survey? Are you actually contacting people? How is it actually working, Sarah? It's an online survey, um, and we're trying to advertise it as widely as possible across uh, social media platforms. Um, and we can, we can put it on websites as well, and we can link it to your website uh, to try and get that response rate as high as possible. We're also conducting interviews as well with the public. So we've conducted about 40 interviews with the public, 40 interviews with the police. We're analysing body-worn video footage, uh, video diaries that police officers are sending us. So hopefully by the end of this project, sometime towards the summer, we will have an, a mass of, of data to show us really what living in lockdown has been like and the effects on policing and people in Hampshire. How long has this actually been running now, this actual survey, this, this project? Uh, we started it in June 2020, so it's wow. been running for about six or seven months now. So you've seen, uh, I guess, a variation in results already? We are seeing changes, absolutely. And we're seeing changes in the way that the police are responding as well. I think in the early stages of the four E's of engage, explain, encourage, enforce, we were very much seeing things at the early end of that, the engaging and the explaining. But, uh, but now I think, especially given the pronouncements from the Home Secretary, uh, we are seeing the police now moving much more quickly to enforce, and we're seeing that via an analysis of our body-worn video footage. Do you think perhaps more can be done to sort of police this, Sarah, in, in your, from what you're you know, gathering, the data that you're gathering? I think you've got to be really, really careful of this because yeah. at some stage we'll come out of this pandemic and we need to get to a situation again where we are 
and we have got a model of policing by consent with the public for the public. So I think we need to try to avoid perhaps the, the very tough enforcement, the draconian rules to stop people, allowing people to do what they need to do and work on that basis of, of normative compliance that I mentioned, trying to get people to do the right thing, but without forcing them to do it, because we need to get back to a situation of high levels of public confidence between the police and the public, and we don't want to erode that through enforcing too much legislation. And are you going to monitor the vaccinations and that kind of thing? Is that next as, sort of, as part of all this? Uh, we're not particularly looking at vaccinations, although we are adding questions into the public survey uh, next time round about whether people have had vaccinations and their views on how much that will affect their compliance. Um, I think it's too early to say yet, but it may well be that uh, the people who are vaccinated will have a different attitude towards uh, complying with regulations than those who haven't been vaccinated. So it'll be interesting to see that in the future. So this is something that's going to run a little bit longer, uh, I think, for the course of the year. And it'll be interesting to see what the results are at the end of it uh, when you evaluate everything, when it all comes in and uh, see where we are. Hopefully, when things are slightly better, come the summer months. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. And I'll come back and tell you all of the results then. Thanks, Sarah. I do appreciate it. Dr. Sarah Chalham from, from here at Portsmouth University. Thank you very much indeed for coming on tonight. It's good to talk to you. Very interesting, actually. Uh, it's interesting when you sort of break it all down and uh, and hear all the different views as well, which is uh, quite an interesting little project, really. Uh, good luck to you for all this, and uh, we'll talk again. Many thanks, Sarah, for coming Many on thanks. tonight. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Stay safe as well. Dr. Sarah Chalham there from Portsmouth University and that interesting there survey of how our perceptions are, of course, with all this lockdown, and certainly lockdown fatigue, as we're all experiencing at the moment but we've just got to hang on in there, haven't we, eh? Hopefully if I press this button, something will happen too. All the anticipation. <laughs> uh, the rest of this week, we're here to nine tonight and something now from Queen, which I think is probably quite apt, actually. Tonight, the week's news reviews what's going on across uh, across the area, your area, Portsmouth and South East Hampshire, at uh, 16 minutes away from eight. Let's find out about uh, Little Ankle Biters and uh, the Community Spirit Awards. Uh, from that, editor Catherine Antibus is on the line with us now. Catherine, good evening to you. Good evening, Chris. How oh, are you? All right, how are you? You okay? I'm, I'm good. I'm very good. Thank Holding you. on in there, are you? Just about, just about, yes. <laughs> it's just awful. About. How are you coping with it all? Are, are you managing it all with, with kids and what have you? Yeah, yeah. We're literally just taking each day, each day at a time, breaking it down into chunks and just, uh, yeah, trying to make the most of our time together because hopefully this will be the last lockdown we get, fingers crossed. So. Yeah. Fingers crossed and all that, because it's uh, <laughs> in a way it's nice to spend some quality time, but then. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> you do yeah. not have to go but out then and it, about. It, 
Yeah, maybe maybe it's not quality time as such, but it is time. But as you say, actually, getting out and about is so important, and it makes the day a lot more bearable. You get some fresh air and get some sunshine, and when the weather's good, get out there and enjoy it. It does help, for yeah. sure. And I've certainly noticed, actually, the last few days, that the, uh, the, the evening's starting to get a little bit lighter. Just a little bit. I know. I love it. It's yeah. brilliant. And the snowdrops as well. Spring yeah. is coming. I've oh. seen so many snowdrops the last couple of days. Yeah, I can smell it. <laughs> I can smell it. Wait for the hay fever to kick off, Catherine. Then that'll be, oh, that'll, <laughs> that'll that'll be, be next. Don't. <laughs> Fantastic. Look, I mean, this organisation's brilliant. Little Ankle Barges. Tell us all about it, first of all. Well, so it's basically a website that I run for the Hampshire area. It's designed to be a sort of family guide for everybody in the county. Um, it's the parents, it's the carers, it's the grandparents. It's the place to go for when, obviously, we're outside lockdown. Uh, ideas for, you know, great family days out, places to eat, um, activity classes, sports classes, everything that you can think of that um, is to do with families and children. Um, hopefully, we'll have, it, we'll have it on our website. Now, obviously, with lockdown, it's very difficult to, to do a days out guide um, or a what's on guide at the moment. So we're kind of now focusing on... Uh, how uh, hints and tips on how to get through the day at home with the kids, whether it's just entertaining them, educating them, um, you know, just trying to make the most of this time, as I mentioned before. And um, we're also um, just in the process now. We're just um, just about to close our nomination stage for our awards for, for 2021 as well. Oh, it's all going on, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, how it did, is. Yeah, I mean, how did the organisation come about? And more particularly, how did you get involved with it? So it was actually set up by a couple of friends of mine. They're, they're colleagues I used to work with at a big corporate a few years ago. And they live over in Oxfordshire and Berkshire. And they set up Little Ankle Biters for their two areas uh, a couple of years ago. And they are now looking to um, uh, basically franchise it out to the rest of the UK. So obviously, um, I'm living in Hampshire. Perfect opportunity for me to get involved there. And they've also since opened up in Hertfordshire, Warwickshire and actually they are they're going nationwide wow. uh, this year as well so they're actually looking for people to represent all the other counties too yeah that's fantastic uh, it's something we definitely need especially at these times yeah absolutely I mean it, it's you know we're here to try and help provide um, any useful um, information that we can um, for, for everybody at home so not only we sort of um, focusing on like children's activities and stuff but there's just ideas for like i mean i've recently done an article around toddler crafts for non-crafty mums because not everyone enjoys getting the paints and the crayons out and getting a messy kitchen table um but there are ways that you can you can still give your child that opportunity but without necessarily uh, having to get involved with all the the messy side of things as well you know there's just hints and tips that we can give you and also we've got a love local section so very much obviously very much at the moment more so than ever really trying to focus on the local community and local businesses run by local people in hampshire and really trying to bring those to the forefront um because i think everybody's a lot more um focused and a lot more interested in in supporting local communities right now well it is isn't it the emphasis is definitely on all this certainly from all this pandemic as well in a way it's brought people together though hasn't it yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That's one of the one of the actual categories in our award. So there's a community spirit award for the business that's um, sort of basically had to pivot um, and change its business model in order to support the community um, during this pandemic. Um, and we've had some great nominations for that award as well as businesses that have done just that.
Yeah. What was the inspiration for these Community Spirit Awards then, Catherine? Tell us all about that. Well, I mean, there's 17 categories in the awards um, in total. Um, they, they've worked very well in Oxfordshire, Berkshire um, in previous years. There have been 10, but we upped it to 17 this year because because of where we are right now. We do feel there's an opportunity to, to widen the scope and offer something like this Community Spirit Award on top of all the others that we do. Um, we've also scoped in um, some additional awards around parties, party suppliers, um, party entertainment venues and also pregnancy services as well because there's a lot of people out there um, that um, offer fantastic either sort of hypnobirthing or uh, antenatal or aquanatal classes for, for mums as well. So there's, there's, it's quite a wide scope. We're covering a lot of different um, a lot of different businesses in our awards. The Community Spirit one is obviously, you know, crucial this year based on what, what's happened. Well, this is it. How do people get into it? How, how does that work? So, um, first of all, um, people can go in and just nominate a business um, in any one of those categories. In fact, they can nominate up to three businesses in each category, and there's 17 categories. So you literally just go to our website, which is hans.ankle-biters.co.uk, um, and there's a, there's a post there. You just click on that and literally you know, type in the, the people that you'd like to nominate. Nominations close tomorrow evening, um, midnight, so be quick. Um, we've had a fantastic response, I have to say, so far. Um, we've had thousands of nominations in for businesses across Hampshire. So, you know, keep going with it. Keep getting them, um, you know, into, uh, into our database. Because this weekend, um, I've got my work cut out for me. Um, <laughs> we're going to be processing all the nominations and uh, essentially counting them all to the point where we've got um, the top nominated, top five nominated businesses for each category. And those are essentially our shortlists for the final. Um, we then put those um, back out to the public to vote on. And obviously the winner walks away with the trophy in each category. Very nice indeed too. bit of recognition, which is quite nice. Absolutely. And do you know what? I've had, I spent yesterday emailing, so I went through the nominations that we've had to date in the database and I emailed um, the companies um, that had been nominated just to say, you know, guys, you're being nominated, you know, isn't this great? And the responses I've had back have been amazing. Just people so grateful to have a little bit of good news, you know, based on this sort of rubbish time that we're in. Um, and loving the fact that their customers have gone out there and just proactively nominated them for this award. Um, you know, half of them, you know, weren't aware they'd been um, nominated, weren't even aware of the awards. I mean, it's our first year. So, you know, we're, we're getting our name out there. But it's just it's just been great and actually um i think everybody needs a little bit of good news right now we need a lift don't we, we need a nice big we lift. do we do and i think this will give it us because you know the the actual winners will be announced by um end of february i think it's 23rd of february and then we're going to have a little presentation ceremony um mid-march it'll either be in in person or or virtual um based on on sort of where we are at that point in time and i think by mid-march you know we're going to be hopefully coming out of wherever we are now certainly will hopefully be in a different place um and things will start to to be able to happen again and businesses operate again um in some way shape or form so you know i think it's great timing just as you say give everyone a little boost to yeah, start the year off with absolutely i mean looking at your website Catherine. i mean you do all sorts here i mean there's clubs and classes and things like that you know for everyone really to to get involved with yeah absolutely and you know um we uh, 
local businesses can get in touch and, and be listed on there as well. But as you say, there's something for everyone. We run right through from baby classes, yeah. toddler groups, sports, drama, and even youth organisations. So we've got some fantastic youth organisations around our county, not just your beavers and your cubs and your rainbows, but, um, you know, all the ones for the older children as well, um, looking to get into or get involved in um, uh, activities outside the home, obviously, when they can be back up and running. That's fantastic stuff. Now, all the details are on there. People want to find out more about the organisation anyway uh, and uh, how they can get involved with. And Hampshire is a diverse county anyway, isn't it? It really is. It's a massive county as well, actually, compared to um, some of the other counties that we, we operate in already. So, you know, Hampshire's big. We've got lots yeah. of big towns and cities. We've got South Hampshire, which is obviously coastal. We've got North Hampshire, um, which is more landlocked. And it's, you know, it is a big place to cover. Um, I'm trying my best. We've only sort of been going <laughs> since September, October, and obviously uh, pretty much been in a lockdown since then. Yes. So, uh so, yeah, um, we're, we're getting there. And, um, you know, it's been absolutely great, actually, the response that we've had to the website so far. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed yeah. We'll, uh, we'll progress even more once we get up and running oh, out of this lockdown. I hope so, too, for, uh, for all your sakes, you know, to, um, to, to certainly get involved with this. Uh, again, if people want to find out more information about Ankle Biters itself, they can go on the website, yeah? Yes, absolutely. So hamps.ankle-biters.co.uk, it's all there. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well, if you want to follow us. OK, they can drop, drop you a line, people can drop you a line and find out more information that way as well. Perfect, yep, absolutely. Fantastic. Catherine, good luck with it. Uh, you know, I said at these times, I think you're doing quite well, really, uh, to be honest with you. The, uh, the response sounds terrific, so good luck with it. I'm sure we'll come back to you later on in the year when things will be brighter and spring will have sprung. <laughs> <laughs> definitely well we can we can share our winners with oh, you come absolutely tell us all about it come back on now and we'll have some better news hopefully by then oh we, we deserve definitely. it we deserve it Catherine. Yeah, let's be honest all right well absolutely. you look after we yourself all, all right you take care thank you very much good luck with it all and uh, thanks for coming on tonight and tell us all about it no worries. Thanks, Chris. Take Bye-bye. care. Cheers, Catherine. Bye-bye. Catherine Antibus there from the uh, Little Ankle Biters uh, for the Hampshire Group. And if you want to find out more about that, as Catherine said, you can either find them on Facebook or Instagram, uh, or you can go on their website, as she said there, hans.ankle-biters.co.uk, and there's all sorts of plethora of all sorts of different things there. Staying at home, days out, some food and drink. Of course, when things are all slightly more, more back to normal and civilised, of course. Clubs and classes, things for the adults as well. Love local. All on there. So the website there, hans.anklehyphenbiters.co.uk is where you find all the information there. The Express this week here from now on to nine tonight. Thanks to your company. Local news if he's run across the area. In between all the uh, pandemic stuff, of course. Other news going on across the area. Uh, including uh, uh, visionary stuff, future stuff. And we're talking 21st century transport, uh, which we've discussed many a time here on this show, certainly. And Hampshire County Council asking for uh, views on a Hampshire local transport plan, particularly in Fairham, Gosport, Havant, Waterlooville and Lee Park. And Hayley Line and Emsworth, those sorts of areas. Uh, to discuss more from Hampshire County Council is Councillor Rob Humby. He's on the line with us now. Rob, good evening to you. Hi, yeah, good evening. How are you? you? Keeping safe? Yeah, not too bad, good mate. Stuff. Thank you very much. Good yeah. stuff. Rob, um, we've discussed before about transport. Um, yep. quite a, um, yeah, it's going to be certainly around for some time to come with climate change and things like that, very high on the agenda now. Uh, and, and I guess your local transport plan for 21st century sort of visionary stuff uh, is it, certainly part of that. 
Absolutely is, yeah. So all authorities have a local transport plan. We had one, you know, what was called LTP4, Local Transport uh, Plan uh, 3, and now we're just about to start on 4. So what we're doing, we're going out and asking as many people as possible what their views are about how they think, you know, we want to be looking at how we travel in the future. What sort of things are we looking at, do you think? Well, it's, it's literally everything. I mean, yeah. we, we, we put out an online survey. Um, we want as many piece, people as possible to, to go onto there and have a look on it. They can go onto the Hampshire website, you know, the hands.gov.uk, search local plan. And we're just trying to get as many views as possible. And this is absolutely everything. The way, you know, whether it's walking or cycling, public transport, then the car use, and trains and buses, everything. Of course, Hampshire's very diverse anyway, isn't it? Absolutely. So we've got that issue, haven't we, where Hampshire is a very large county, um, about 80% rural, but of course only about 20% of the people live in that part. So it is very diverse. The, I think that the challenge is, is that we try to make sure we've got transport provision for, you know, for the residents of Hampshire, obviously, but for the businesses and our visitors as well. And of course, um, with Hampshire and particularly down here, we're, we're very congested. I'm thinking yep. Fairham, Gosport, haven't you know those sorts of places? And all sorts of different schemes are now sort of coming into the fold, particularly in Gosport with BRT, as we've discussed before. Absolutely, and we discussed the Transforming Cities Fund as well, and that's yeah. another area in and around Portsmouth and in, and in the area surrounding there on the Hampshire network. Is that something so you like? To, yeah, sorry. I mean, is that something you like to see sort of expanded right across the county? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very much, you know, things have changed, haven't they? So we started this really set out in the way, you know, how climate change has affected us. And we've got to think about how we can improve, you know, clean, healthy and make it fair and sustainable for everybody. But obviously now COVID has come along. Uh, people's work patterns have changed, how people travel have changed. So we need to try and plan for something that is, you know, fit for purpose now, but of course for the future as well. Do you think, you know, with this pandemic, it sort of accelerated things a little bit? Absolutely. I think that's a really good point that you've made because a lot of this was going to happen anyway and now it's just brought it home to everybody and people won't have to travel the same as they did nor going either into the London or into the cities and more people will be working from home. So we've got to do that in in terms of thinking about how we plan and connectivity as well so people can work from home. Yeah, and certainly our cities are changing with the high street and all these shops closing. Uh, That's going to have, I guess, an impact as well. It will, and that would be then how we sort of plan for places and for people as well, isn't it? I think one thing that you know, I've tried to do, I sit on a body called Transport for South East as well, and we're now all looking about how we run sort of um, land use planning alongside transport planning. It's not always been you know, done in parallel, and now we need to make sure that it is, it is done in parallel and we all work together. Now, this climate change strategy, we, we've yep. heard this uh, discussed a lot, talked about a lot, uh, uh, talked about quite a lot, uh, yep. and certainly government are really sort of banging the drum on this now. We're talking, even tonight, I think it's been on the national news about this this vision for 2050, this net carbon, uh, uh, certainly making it zero. Uh, is, that's certainly where you're coming from in Hampshire. Absolutely. I mean, the, the County Council signed up to the climate change emergency. We've set our targets in line with the government's targets as well. But, of course, that doesn't stop us. If we can do things much earlier than that, we clearly will. And transport has a big impact on that. I mean, just under a third of transport accounts, 
you know, for about of, of transport accounts for about a third of the uh, CO2 emissions in Hampshire. So clearly that's an important part for us to consider. Yeah, uh, and electric buses and things like that. I was talking to uh, Lynn, Councillor Lynn Stagg here in Portsmouth yep. uh, last week, week before, uh, about uh, about this, yeah, electric buses, the, and working closely with the local bus companies here. Uh, and that's something, I guess, you're certainly looking at in Hampshire as well. Certainly is. I mean, I know Lynn very well. We work together. We work together with a Transforming Cities Fund as well. And that's really important that we do everything joined up. You know, the roads don't stop at a boundary between Hampshire and Portsmouth and indeed Southampton. And we obviously we consider the Isle of Wight as well about how we travel. Let, the, the idea is, I think, I mean, I meet the bus companies or the MDs about every six, eight weeks. And one of their biggest concerns clearly has been congestion. Yes. If we can improve, you know, the, the routes for them and congestion and give them priority, more people will use them. And yes, they will then start investing in that technology, you know, to help reduce that carbon. Yeah. I know we're sort of talking out of our patch here in Portsmouth and uh, the surrounding areas, but uh, I know further down in Hampshire, um, the old waterside line, that's um, the talk of that being resurrected, which is around sort of, um, is it uh, Forley Way, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, it is. It's down, sort of, more or less runs parallel with the A326. Yeah, we're actually looking at that now. We've looked at it previously, and it wasn't viable. And then there was a new fund to go and do some investigation work. And we're about halfway through that to see if it is viable again. But, of course, we then have to consider... What's the knock-on effect with the crossings across, you know, uh, that, that hold, potentially hold the traffic up, but also the impact that has on the bus route as well. Yeah. But there's a lot to consider. Yeah. Is that something we, we, you know, we might see expanded in the future? I think it potentially could be. Yeah. You know, we have to see about that, and we have to see about electrification for lines as well, don't we, to make yeah. sure that, you know, that the trains are a green travel option as well. Yeah, so all this, this part of this plan here is yep. for someone, or, you know, for all of us in the Hampshire uh, area, certainly, to, to get involved with and, and be a part of. Absolutely. This is really your opportunity. I mean, we want to start those conversations. The online survey is open till the 28th of February, and we want you know, as many people as possible to engage with that. And indeed, if it's a family and you log on and you have a look and you've got some youngsters in the house as well, ask what they think, because, you know, we're planning for their future. That's the thing. They're going to be yep. the ones taking this forward, aren't they? Absolutely, and that's even more important when we start talking about in the climate change, you know, the impact that it's going to have on health as well. I mean, it is around health, obesity, mental well-being, all those things, and we've got to, you know, make sure this has an impact in certain terms of pollution and poor air quality, and we've got to deal with that. Yes, and you have. Uh, Rob Humby, it's good to talk to you, mate, and uh, you look after yourself and what yep. have you, and keep up the good work, and I'm sure we'll come back to you later on in the year. And hopefully when we next chat, Rob, that um, things will be slightly brighter. Absolutely, certainly. yeah. Really appreciate the opportunity as well. Many thanks. Bless you, mate. You take care. Cheers, okay, bye-bye. 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 Councillor Rob Humby, always great to talk to Rob, and uh, they're from Hampshire County Council, the Deputy Leader and Executive Member there for the Conway Transport and the Environment as well. So the best bloke to get on the show tonight here on the programme. Uh, and thanks then to Rob for come into that if you want to find out more about that online survey you can go to the hampshire county council website and all the details will be there in their glory for you uh, let's catch up with cat cultural engagement coordinator cat good evening to you good evening how are you all right i'm very well good thank you stuff. how are you all oh, right not bad at all i had to disappear quickly because we were yakking uh, off air and i thought oh hang on the jingle's finishing <laughs> so i had to press a button quick cat <laughs> thanks for being there tonight it's good to talk to you we haven't spoken for ages so it's nice to get you back on and have a chat and uh, see how things are uh, busy as ever you're telling me off air yeah absolutely so uh 
obviously, uh, even though our venues are, are currently shut, um, our social impact programs and how we reach our community keeps going on. Uh, so, yeah, busier than ever. Well, because we last spoke with your Horizon 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, that's one of our um, wonderful um, social impact programmes which worked with uh, education centres across Hampshire, uh, working with some of the most vulnerable young people uh, who are uh, in school or um, who need additional help to engage with education. Yeah, uh, and it's fantastic what you do as well. And in fact, what you all do as part of the uh, the Cultural Trust there. Uh, now, these creative boxes, I mean, tell us a little bit about this. So these creative boxes, really, they started um, back in the first lockdown. We We worked really hard to find out how we can support some of the most vulnerable young people in our county. And we've continued to work with some fantastic partners we received some uh, emergency funding from the Youth Endowment Fund, which was uh, a project aimed at supporting young people at risk of being drawn into violent crime as a result of the pandemic. So a lot of young people suddenly became very isolated. And we have existing really strong partnerships with children's services, the youth offending team, schools, young carers. And so this project... Um, uh, developed to, um, uh, well, consisted of a series of artist-led online workshops and courses where young people were also sent kind of tailored art boxes in advance to enable them to participate, but also to support our fantastic um, partners, so social workers, um, those from CAMS, the other kind of youth organisations who are really on the front line supporting young people through this really difficult time. And from that project, uh, these wonderful creative boxes had such an impact on young people. So we know that in Hampshire, there's over 30,000 vulnerable young people. So we continue to um, look at ways to connect with them and uh, this is how the, these creative boxes were, were developed. So we worked with local artists. We listened to the young people and what they wanted um, and also how we can help support uh, those on the front line to really connect and build relationships with the young people. So that's how these, these beautiful creative boxes uh, were made. Um, so they consist of some really high-quality craft materials and activities that young people will want to to try and uh, to really help them to uh, express themselves and have a positive activity at home, a way to kind of uh, tackle some of their, maybe their low self-esteem, build their confidence, and ultimately it's to improve their mental health, which we know is... Uh, a real issue at the moment yeah you've got all sorts in these boxes i'm having a look on your website actual fact uh there's all sorts in there there are um and i think uh when you get to um kind of about 10 years old you Mm. you want to start using beautiful materials and uh 
that kind of quality was something that came out really strongly with the young people. Um, and it's so that they can create something that they will be really proud of. So, so really high quality paints and sketchbooks. They've got kind of basics in there, which a lot of the most vulnerable young people, especially from disadvantaged backgrounds, they, they, they might not have at home. So, um, yeah, a whole host of things. And then the artists, um, who are fantastic they they came up with activities that would really suit young people um, so like fashion designs and origami um, and just activities that would encourage them to give it a go try something new and to keep them inspired well that's it and because obviously with all this going on lockdown doesn't help matters does it really no, so things like um, isolation um, and not being able to spend time with friends, but also there's there's such a um, high majority of young people who don't have regular access to, to the internet or um, to kind of online courses and especially when you've got several siblings at home, I'm at home with my two kids and, you know, one's using one one device and the other one's just trying to find something to do. So, yeah, it, it gives them uh, something to do that's for themselves. And we've had some wonderful comments from the young people. Firstly, just the, the sheer excitement of getting something through the post, um, which is... Uh, exciting in itself but it also um talking to some social workers it's the fact that they they feel like someone actually cares about them so that's that's a really kind of powerful message for them to you know kind of respond and and um have a positive uh outlet um and to feel that you know there are there are there are people out there. Yeah. And this is listening to our wonderful community um, and our visitors uh, to Hampshire Cultural Trust venues that they they were saying that they wanted to find a way to support us, to support those kind of vulnerable um, people in society. So this is a way that they, they can give back as well. Yeah, yeah. How is this all funded? People are going to ask that. How is it all funded? Well, we have um, just uh, on our culture and call, we've just uh, announced kind of a fundraising uh, scheme. So we're asking people to uh, donate £30, which will um, enable us to um, buy all of the materials for a creative box. And then we work, um, so that money goes directly for those wonderful um, art materials for it to be sent directly to those young people um, and we hope that we can um, raise enough money to help as many young people as possible fantastic okay so it's all going back into it really is it into the project itself absolutely so um uh I've got a, a room full of uh, some materials because we've already had people donating, wow. which is fantastic. Yeah. And working so closely with children's services, they've got a long list of young people who would benefit um, from having these uh, creative boxes and for them to have a really positive reason to contact them. So, um, so yes, we're hoping that 
as many if people are looking for a way to really help um, those young people uh, to donate and uh, we'll make up as many boxes and send them out as quickly as possible yeah and all the details for this on the website aren't they yeah, if you go to Culture On Call, which is the online platform that our fantastic marketing team set up, um, <laughs> it's got all Give of the plug. details on there. Um, and uh, with uh, uh, with other colleagues as well, there's lots of other activities on our Culture On Call website, which uh, activities for young people and <clears throat> also... Um, so, for instance, Marston Museum has just announced a kind of a discover activity so um, young people can kind of get creative, um, get the, also have the tools and um, even get a certificate out of it. So there's, there's loads of activities. I think um, we've got so many fantastic colleagues who kind of really try to develop so many different ways to stay connected with uh, with our audiences and visitors, and then also things like the creative boxes allow us to reach those people who wouldn't otherwise uh, think of engaging mm. um, with us. So, yeah, fantastic. And you got uh, different collections as well, and there's old photographs and things like that of of Hampshire gone past, of course, of all of Hampshire, I guess, there, uh, which is quite nice. They can delve into that on the website as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a real treasure trove of stories and history and culture, um, and this is a, a really good way to connect with our community, but and also with arts and culture. Yeah. So that that's a driving force of, of what Hampshire Cultural Trust is really all about. Yeah. Have you so seen it increase, Cat? Uh, 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 Have you actually seen inc- people getting more involved in, in these sorts of things because of the pandemic? Absolutely. I think there's so much creativity out there and so many different ways and platforms that people have used. Um, and uh, a recent um, activity was inviting people to... Uh, to view online some of our beautiful objects um, and and draw it, and we had uh, we've got um, grandkids, we've got parents, we've got uh, children, all all getting involved together. So it's become a real family activity. I'm just so, uh, yeah. As you were talking, now, I'm just looking, flicking through some of these old photos. They're absolutely marvellous on the website. There's a, there's only a few of them, mind you. But I mean, there's a picture there. I'm just looking at uh, at the, the main high street, I guess, in Winchester. There's some fantastic photos, and yeah. also uh, Hampshire Court Trust has got 2.5 million objects, which are fantastic collection teams continue to uh, archive and to put online. So. Certainly, uh, when it comes to um, uh, projects about history, yeah. uh, I would recommend uh, parents to go online, have a have a look up, and then uh, pro- uh, projects that children are doing um, at school, you'll yeah. be able to find something that connects. To, to that. There's all sorts on there. Absolutely all sorts, Cat. There's brilliant stuff. Well, look, I mean, good luck with this um, campaign as well, these creative boxes. I'm sure everyone can get involved in that. But again, if people want to find out more information about anything you do there as the Cultural Trust, is to, is to go on the website and all the details there. 
yeah absolutely fantastic cap thanks for coming on it's good to talk to you uh, i'm sure we'll come to you again uh hopefully when we next chat as i said to my previous guest spring will be around the corner and things slightly brighter you never know oh let's hope let's hope Keep it all crossed. <laughs> absolutely cat thanks for coming on tonight it's good to talk to you uh regards to all there and look after yourself stay safe won't you chat soon okay take care cheers cat Night night. Bye bye. Bye. Cat Kurt there uh, from the Hampshire Cultural Trust. And again, if you want to find out more information about uh, the Hampshire Cultural Trust and particularly about those creative boxes, it's all there on their website. Just go to hampshirecultural.org.uk. You can find all the info you need to know. And we turn our attention to something positive. We need positivity. I think we've got quite a lot of that tonight, which is good. Uh, and we'll talk, turn our attentions and talking about uh, the new Theatre Royal, not not far from where we're sat here tonight, here in Central Portsmouth, near our studios. But uh, in Guildhall Walk, we're talking new Theatre Royal, of course. Hopefully safe and closure. Uh, Councillor Steve Pitt from Portsmouth City Council will probably explain more about that. Steve, good evening to you. Good, mo- good evening, Chris. How are you, mate? You all right? Staying safe? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. That's what I like to hear. Uh, we need positive news, so you're, you're the uh, final guest on the show tonight, so, you know, it's all on your shoulders. <laughs> 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 now, I mean, this is positive because this was... So, the, the future of the theatre, the new theatre all uh, here in this city was a little bit up in the air, wasn't it? Yes, it was, Chris. Um, unlike uh, the sort of King's Theatre and the Guild Hall, uh, the theatre uh, trust there own their own building, uh, and with uh, all the pressures and difficulties that they faced over the last year, and particularly through COVID, uh, things were becoming very difficult. So uh, the City Council just didn't want to risk the, the loss of the building. Well, I mean, it's steeped in history at anyway isn't it basically it certainly is uh, i mean it's, um, it's one of matcham's theatres so it's architecturally important um i used to um, volunteer there back in the 1990s uh, and into the 2000s uh working alongside john offord who basically saved the theatre from uh de- demolition uh back in the 70s and uh there's been an awful lot of amateur companies that have used it on a very regular basis uh, to all sorts of touring productions. I think Laurel and Hardy performed on stage there back in the day. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's got a long history and we need to protect that history and make sure it's there for future generations to enjoy too. Yeah, absolutely. So where are we now with, uh, with securing the future? So um, there's a report coming to the Cabinet on the 5th of February uh, to agree to proceed uh, with the purchase. Um, and then uh, once that goes through, then we'll be looking to proceed a pace and make sure that the freehold is acquired by the City Council. OK, so it's all hinging on that now. So fingers crossed that all goes through. Yeah, uh, it should be fine. It should be fine, yeah. Because, I mean, with, with the pandemic, it's taken a hit, hasn't it, like everything else? Well, I mean, the doors have been closed since last March. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not easy for a theatre. Um, as we know, the, the King's boldly opened up and put on their own Porter's Panto, the Pompey Panto at Christmas. Yes. And, it, you know, they had to close that early, but fair play to them. They did a sterling job, and I went along, and it was a great show. Uh, but the new theatre all just wasn't in that position uh, to be able to take that chance. And, uh, you know, like so many venues across the UK, they were in a desperate position because if you don't have bums on seats, then, you know, you just you don't have the ability to to generate any income and it's been a very very difficult time for them uh their ceo had already planned to leave uh so that was 
pre-COVID uh, to move on to pastures new and they were just about to start the recruitment process for a new one and then COVID hit so yeah they've they faced a very difficult time and uh, our theatres across the country are uh, finding you know, enormous strains for all of this and that's why it was important that the council stepped in and didn't allow the building to be lost. Well, that's it. Uh, and the new chair, I guess, is uh, fairly happy with you know way things are progressing. Yeah, yeah. Simon, we've worked, we've worked very closely with Simon throughout, trying to support yeah. them and uh, making sure we're keeping on top of their current situation and help them as much as we can. Uh, and we look forward to still being able to do that and work with them moving forward. So, you know, it's, it's not a. I've had a few messages saying the council's taking over the new theatre royal. No, we're not taking over the new theatre royal. We're buying the building, so it's an asset for the city uh, for the future. But the the trust are, are still there, and uh, and now uh, once they've got the security of knowing that the building's safe, they can start to uh, sort themselves out and plan for the future. Yes, I mean hopefully that won't be far too long. Fingers crossed. Well, it'd be great to think we could start getting the theatres reopened at some point late spring or, or in the summer so that they can start to welcome people again. Uh, you know, theatres are amazing places, but they're at the most amazing when they're full of people, and that's yeah. what we need to see again. Oh, our music venues, are, are, of course, are, are still suffering, aren't they? Oh, they absolutely are. You know, I'm, I'm always in regular, because you probably know I used to chair the partnership in the city and run my own venue yeah. myself. So, I'd, you know, I know all these guys, and I've known them a long time, and uh, I know Jeff at the Wedgwood Rooms is the regional lead for the Music Venues Trust and has been very heavily involved with their campaigning uh, nationally. And I think, you know, that organisation was largely responsible for persuading the government to take action when they did in setting up the Cultural Recovery Fund and that certainly saved the wedge uh, and uh, helped significantly with uh, support for the Kings and the Guild Hall and I know we're going into round two of bids for that Cultural Recovery Fund now um, and you know many of these uh, venues are only being kept alive by that lifeline. It's, uh, there are sadly though some that have, uh, haven't met the, uh, been able to meet the criteria uh, and uh, and they are going to close and it's you know it's it's a great sadness for me because you know our culture our, our live music industry our festivals uh, that's what makes uh, the UK such an amazing place we're world leaders in it uh, and we need to be investing in that and trying to save as much of that industry as we possibly can because by God we'll miss it if it's not there yeah but do you think we can can come back from this. I think we can. I think it's going to take time uh, because obviously even if when things start to begin to open up, social distancing is not going to disappear overnight. So capacities will be reduced um, and uh, but touring shows won't be any cheaper to take out on the road. So obviously there's, there's a, a pressure point there between not being able to generate as much income, but still it's still costing as much to go out and tour and, and put productions on. So that's why that government support ongoing is going to be important. It's not going to just be a case of, well, things are going to start opening up we'll leave everyone to it there's going to have to be ongoing government support for our cultural sector uh, or we're going to lose big chunks of it and we really cannot afford to let that happen no. uh, the, uh, while I've got you on the phone Steve I mean uh, how's Portsmouth faring itself do you think as a city well, funnily enough, I'm just sitting here writing a speech because I've got to uh, <laughs> give a speech to the Shape Portsmouth Conference tomorrow. So oh, that's exactly that. what I've been thinking about. <laughs> and I think, on the whole, we've we've done pretty well yeah. as a city. Um, you know, people have got behind each other. Local businesses have supported vulnerable people throughout. Uh, the Hive have done amazing work harnessing all our volunteers, getting yes. food parcels out there, working with the council to make sure that food supplies didn't dry up and we could get stuff out to, to vulnerable people. Uh, Shaping Portsmouth has done an amazing job. 
supporting businesses, business support teams done great. Everyone's pulled together really well. We know Pompey is a very proud place, and if there's one place that epitomises community, it's Portsmouth. Uh, and when we're up against it, people do pull together. We don't always see that uh, in you know in, in the normal times, and I think it's very easy to knock Portsmouth and criticise and say it's not as great as it used to be and all that sort of thing, but I don't believe that's true. I think it is still an amazing place where people do come out the woodwork, step mm-hmm. in, fill those gaps, do what needs to, to happen and support people. And I think the city's shown itself to be a, a really amazing place over the last 12 months, and I'm hoping we can continue to capture that and work together as a community moving forward. Yeah, and what about the commercial road area? I mean, that's, it's looking dire now with, with Debenhams now shutting. Well, what we do know, of course, is that COVID has massively accelerated the decline of the high street. Yes. Uh, that's evident. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people say the council should do this, the council should do that. Council don't own the shops. Um, and so we've we, we got limited influence in that regard. But we have uh, secured some money for Commercial Road and for Fratton through Future High Streets Fund. And we've got £3.1 million for Commercial Road, which is not everything we asked for, but it's a, a good chunk. And we've put another couple of million into the council's capital budget to go with to make that back up again and uh, make sure we can do something meaningful. And for me, it's all about... You know, if the big retail chains are going, and they clearly are, and a lot of that's moving online, what do we really want the town centre to be? Because it's not just going to be about shops anymore. And it never used to just be about shops. It was about places for people to hang out and socialise and enjoy family time and being together and just going out and, and being rather than just rushing in, doing the shopping and going home again. So we need to diversify, have more restaurants, cultural destinations, activities to bring people in and make the town centre a hub of the community again not just a space for shops and if we do that the shops are resilient and they will survive and our independents will have a chance, a chance to move into some of those spaces that are left behind by the big chains and then it's up to the community to support them and keep them there i believe it's possible it's going to take time but we can do it and with the, with the council just intervening here and there to help nudge things along, I think we can eventually get to a really good place. It is, it's not an impossibility, but it is an uphill task. No, it, it's going to take time, but it will get there eventually. Yeah, I really do believe we will. I mean, some, one of the things that this money is going to enable us to do is uh, put in some, some better pub, what we call public realm stuff in the town, in, through commercial roads. So uh, stuff for kids to play on, uh, better benches and layouts for people, families to be able to sit and, and chat and, and enjoy being together. And those sort of things just mean that people can enjoy the space more, just to make the place feel a bit more loved. You know, I think that's really important. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do everything as a council we'll do everything that we can and we'll look to leverage in more investment wherever it's available let's hope for happier times steve it's coming i mean, i can sniff it i can smell it <laughs> <laughs> i think you're probably right chris i mean at the end of the day as much as 2020 is a year that a lot of people want to forget i'll always remember it not just for the bad times but for the, a lot of the positivity that we've had in the city and the way the community's come together and some of the amazing things that have happened and that we just need to keep building on those now as we go forward and hopefully get over the pandemic fantastic councillor steve pitt thanks for coming on tonight good to talk to you mate look after yourself we'll cast all there We'll talk Thanks, soon. Chris. Cheers, mate. All the best to you. Cheers, Take care. Bye bye. Can't steep it there about the new theatre wall and other things too uh, affecting us here in the city of Portsmouth. That's it for this week. Well, where's the time gone? Gone so fast. Thanks to Cambly tonight. We'll do it all again for you next week. Same time, 7 soon till 9 o'clock. And the monks are guests next week. Oh, dear, I oh, dear. Uh, who have we got here? I'm just rummaging through my diary. 
Uh, who we got? Alex Scotton, uh, Wessex Archaeology. We're talking about the uh, the old uh, seafront down there at South Sea, which they've discovered, uh, the old historic sea walls. We'll find out more about that. Alex with us late, uh, next week on the programme. And our profile guest next week, Chris Golding from the Portsmouth Area Talking News. Amongst the guests next week, look forward to their company. Uh, we'll talk then, 7 o'clock next week here for Express This Week. Have a fabulous seven days. Take care. No night now.